I'm Steve Vibronix, and this is the Life in Dub podcast, talking to people who live their lives in dub and reggae. Episode number 32. Welcome to the 32nd episode of the Life in Dub podcast. How are you all doing out there? I hope it's all good. Thanks again for taking the time to listen to Life in Dub. This is the podcast that digs deep into reggae and dub history, delivering in-depth interviews with people that live their lives through music. If you want to get in touch with any questions or just want to say hi, then you can email me at vibronics at gmail.com. It's great to hear what you think about the podcast. All the previous interviews are there to listen back to, so don't forget to go back over them and check out any that you missed. All can be found at lifeindub.com or any of the regular podcast places as well as YouTube. This week I want to talk a bit about records, and in particular the pressing of vinyl. As I record this, it's June 2021, and there's never been more pressure on the already scarce and overworked last few remaining pressing plants around the world. Making records is an expensive and complicated industrial process, so it's really not easy to set up a new factory. And what's been happening over the last few years is the big commercial major record labels have been wading in and buying up all the very limited capacity that the factories have. I think the major labels and artists see records as a cool little promotional thing that fans buy and then put on the shelf whilst listening to the music on Spotify. And the result of all this is now a year-long wait for all of us independent record labels to get our records pressed. Records that people actually play and listen to. So hold tight, all new music lovers out there, because it's going to take a bit of time to get some of these new productions we have sitting here out on vinyl. This week, my guest is Dan I, the vocalist, producer and sound system operator from Northern Italy. The last few years, many have heard his Imperial Sound Army sound system playing all over Europe but he started out as a singer and a musician back in Italy. We have a really interesting chat about how things developed in Italy and what it takes to run a big sound system. So enough of me, let's get on with the interview. So, Dan I, welcome to the Life in Dub podcast. Bless up, Steve. Thanks for having me Nice. Here. Nice you could join me all the way over there from northern Italy, is that right? Yeah, for real. For real, for real. Up, up north. Nice, nice. Well, listen... What I say to everybody at the beginning of the podcast is um, I ask everyone the same question, and that is to talk about a track that's been really influential or something that's had a real effect on you or whatever, just to kind of kickstart everything off. So it's never easy to name one track, um, but I don't know if you've got an example of a track you want to talk about. Well, I've got many, to be honest, especially when it comes to roots, because I'm a roots lover, you know? So, um, I mean, I've got culture... And I've got Abyssinians, I've got all the classics with me, and I've got um, War, Bob Marley War, the song which represent, I mean, which uh, brings the speech of His Majesty was really important for me. And then I've got one peculiar track, which is actually from you, and is uh, jam music. I believe it's Bonnie L, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. That's that, right. Yeah, when it first comes out, it just blow me, you know. I, um, a friend of mine showed me the track, and I, I was into... Um, I was into no roots, really. I mean, I used to buy records from Jamaica, and during that specific time, I was into no roots, but I was getting kind of bored, to be honest. And a friend of mine showed me one of your tracks, which was jam music, and I got blown, you know. I said, Wow, that's the, that's the sound I like, really. It was totally new, because of course, comparing it to those Jamaican sound. You know, I mean, your stuff was um, um, 
was more like digital kind of new mm -hmm. so it really brought me into it and and that was important because it brought me into the dub you know mm -hmm. no nice yeah because because at that time i mean i was a collector of all the kind of the stuff coming out of jamaica but for me it was the last time jamaica was producing regular like really high quality music you know stuff from uh, the firehouse crew were doing and stuff on star trail and exterminator yeah exactly all those things but obviously what i was doing influenced by all the kind of uk artists you know like disciples and tnt roots and alfred amiga and everyone was doing this digital thing so well that, I, I mean as i said i had a friend and he was working um he was uh, doing hip-hop but um I was uh, learning how to uh, record music with a PC, so I went to check him regularly, and he showed me, well he knew I was into reggae, so he showed me the track, you know, he said, let me play you something, and he played this massive track, I said, wow, the sound, I mean, the kick sound techno to me, but it, you know, it sounded like very, very much different from what, what, what I was into, you know. It's like these, um, as I said, New Roots was kind of what depressing me at some point because every everything was sounding the same, you know what I mean? I mean, um, vocally-wise, music-wise, I was kind of bored. So when it comes with it, I said, wow. Well, I was just coming out of the kind of 90s, so dance music was such a big thing in the UK in the 90s, and I was uh, just influenced by it, I guess. I was kind of, that's the sort of vibe. But, but talking about yourself and, and like in your kind of history, so if we go back a bit earlier, then how did you get into music? What, what was your way into music? What was your earliest kind of connections? Uh, well, generally speaking, my father used to play guitar, so I was into music since, well, I think since, since I'm born, really, because... Um, he was a guitar, a classic guitar lover, and he and he used to play fantastic, really. So, I mean, um, I remember I was amazed when he played me music, so you know. And then um, a crucial time was when I was, um, I think I was around 13, 14, maybe, and he he gave me a Bob Marley cassette, and during, I mean, that was crucial because. Um, I didn't know about Marley, but we used to roll kilometers. We, we used to, he comes to pick me up in the weekend during the weekend, right? So we used to roll with a car, and he played me that Bob Marley cassette, and then uh, in the end, he gave it to me. He gave it to me. So that was my f um, introduction into reggae. And what what was it about that Bob Marley stuff that that touched you? Man, it was like the feeling was so airy, so positive, so vibing, and he, he had a lot of energy. And I felt like uh, I started. To, I didn't. I mean, um, um, I didn't pick up the lyrics to the fullest because I I didn't know English much, and uh, but I. Yeah, I could feel there was something special. He was speaking about marijuana. He was speaking about the Bible too, and um, I was a bit um, mm -hmm. anti-system, you know, during those days. So I found it like, what is he talking about? And um, it, it kind of dragged me into it, really. And I, I, I was curious, you know, I wanted to know what it was about. And um, I started to buy his books and with um, with his lyrics translation. 
you know them things and then and I get deeper and deeper into it um, and then um, I started to play guitar myself and I started to sing Bob Marley songs and yeah. Well that's what's interesting about like Bob Marley and also a lot of other music at that time was you get these artists that were mainstream artists like super popular all over the world but they were making music that was really like political and kind of and you, you don't get that so much now you know i can't think of that many artists who are super big worldwide like pop stars but are doing really political stuff and that's kind of what people like bob marley were doing i think that's that's my vision i mean he was a revolutionary and he, he was a man for the people and he, he was standing for the people whatever the cause was you know what i mean i mean i mean um he, he, he used to well you know better than me he used to feed a lot of people too with his music he was a hero you know what I mean? And so did you start getting deeper into reggae after kind of getting into Bob Marley? Was that, after that you started to kind of discover other stuff, did you? Yeah, 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 of course, yeah, yeah, slowly. Well, I went through the classics, really, Peter Tosh, Bonnie Whaler, Whalers in general, and then uh, I had a friend, because um, I was, um, I had a, we had a, we had a little squat in town, which was the only one then he played alternative music. Well, music in general, because I'm from a mountain village, which is in 2B. And um, as I said, the only one place playing music was that place, that, that, that specific venue. And I had a friend and he was doing, he was DJing reggae, you know? So I started to, well, discover my reggae panorama with him, um, like I remember Toots and the Maidens, Jazz Shaka, the first records of Alpha and Omega, either Matt Professor, Culture, yeah. Burning Spear, Abyssinians. You know, I went through the classics really, and he was he, he didn't like much UK reggae, he was uh, really into Jamaican, and he still is. And that was myself when you know. Well, well, that's one of the, the big changes that's happened over the last, I, I don't know, 10, 20 years. It's kind of so much reggae music that's not produced in Jamaica. You know, it's kind of really so, so much now. But obviously, you know, people will know you as like a singer and a producer and, you know, obviously a sound man as well. Um, but when, when did you start? like singing or playing reggae i mean how, how did that stuff happen i believe that was mid 90s and um 98 early 2000 uh met buri from mombasa studio and i met the yeah, buri's a legend yeah buri's a legend over here for real and um so humble and so talented and uh, yeah, man, we became friends and uh, I went regularly to check him at his studio. He was playing some of his 45. We used to sing on the B-side. And then, um, well, see, yeah, Paolo Baldini, which I'm still working with a lot, especially recently. Uh, he brought me the first studio recording session with him and um, another Bridget and Tony. We had a, we had a little project uh, named the Earth Ground Combination. I, I remember yeah remember yeah and um that was my first experience into studio home recording cubase and them stuff you know and what what were you doing were you, were you singing and writing or because I, I remember you 
as a as a vocalist first, I guess it's kind of heard your voice. But were you were you also producing at that time as well? Not really. I was more into because um, these days I was playing with a band. I had a band. I had a um, reggae band for almost ten years, I think. And um, my experience mainly was into live. Mm-hmm. You know, we used to play live instruments, and then um, beside that. Um, I, I kind of started to select myself as well, selecting music and then started to do the little chat on it, you know, the little DJ and then, um, yeah, because of the guitar and the singing, along with the singing, I, I went uh, deeper into it um, and I started to write my own songs. Because mm-hmm. the whole live band thing is like, in many countries where there isn't, such a or there wasn't such a sound system scene in the past a lot of people's route into it i think was playing in bands and i mean i played in like sort of punk bands and stuff when i was a teenager and it is you know i really enjoyed it it's 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 a great feeling playing like every when the whole thing is live you've got drums bass guitar whatever and everyone's playing together it's a real buzz i, I remember oh yeah super beautiful man there was my days for real and where where were you playing? Were you, were you traveling around or just playing like locally? Well, we kind of we played. Um, I think uh, we we played the we played the whole country, and at some point we were good, you know. But I remember we were a lot of people. At some point, I believe twelve of us. We had a complete twelve hold. in the band. Yeah, man, that, that, that was was a complete band, you know, two guitar. Um, two keyboards, we had the uh, horns at some point. We started, when we started at the beginning, we were three people, but then, yeah, man, I remember right at the end, we we, we, we were 10, 12, and then you can imagine it was hard to deal with um, <laughs> all of us, really. <laughs> you the know? logistics, when you got that many people, I mean, how just to organize them all to be in the same room, I mean, it's... You know that that's not an easy thing to do. No, especially when it comes to professional. Because uh, I wanted to, you know, I wanted to 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 play music as much as I could. And um, I mean, I really believe we could uh, reach up on a level and also make money. You know, and uh, because as you said, sound system wasn't, especially in Italy, sound system wasn't too big. Mm-hmm. Um, so what what? What what was going on in Italy at that time? The early movement was um, um, rising, and uh, yeah, the first sound like um, the guys from South um, I and I project. Yeah, there you go. And then uh, up north, um, King David Warriors, and then um, they started to bring artists from the UK, Abashanti, Channel One, Jashaka. I remember. And um, and yeah. And before that, there was there were just bands playing. Then is that w- were there other bands playing, or was it unusual for the people to see an Italian reggae band? There, there were a lot of bands playing um, during those days. More than sound system, definitely. Beside bands, yeah, DJs. Not real sound system, but uh, most of it were DJs. You know, like um, they used to play before and after the the, the band show. And uh, 
yeah, that was the style, really. You, mm -hmm. you don't really have a specific sound system night yet. That started around 2000, I think. And what about yourself? So you, you were singing in this band, is that right? Yeah, I was playing guitar and singing, yeah. And how, how did you get into being like a singer and a lyricist and a songwriter and stuff? Because not, not everybody does that kind of thing. Man, I think I kind of, I started to, I started to go to sound system sessions and um, I mean, um, I started to sing, I think, with Mombasa um, first and then um, I went with other sounds as well because the band was kind of collapsing really. So I said, why, the, the, the only way for myself to survive after so much work and arranging stuff, arranging the music part as well sometimes, I wanted to do something with music, you know, but I said to myself, there's no way I'm going to continue with the band because I'm going mad, really. So much work you need to do and, you know, hard to find the right people you want to jump completely into music with. That was the hardest part, really. So I said to myself, let's do, let's do a lighter stuff. And I went to, I started to sing with the few sound system, few DJs, and I believe by, by, by after a couple of years, I, I sung with all of them. And what about discovering sound system then? I mean, how did that happen? I mean, you talked about, you know, very early on listening to Bob Marley and playing music in a band. And how, how did the sound system thing come into your life? Because that's what most people wouldn't think of you now, obviously, with a well-established sound yeah, system. Yeah, well, um, I went to, I had a friend, Mikey, Mikey Dredd, you know him. Mm -hmm. Of course, the legend. Yeah, Mikey here is a legend because he, he was one of the earliest to travel to UK, buy reggae music, come down here and selling it. You know what I mean? Providing DJs proper, proper fresh rhythms and mm. proper fresh plastic, whatever, dot plates, you know, music from the UK. And uh, he brought me to a gathering, a sound system gathering called Raz. And this was in Rome and was when the early sounds used to gather one per year, I think. And they used to play each other on his own sound system. And uh, and that was the, um, let's say, my introduction, I think, into, sound, into, into the Italian sound system scene. But they, I wasn't happy with it, you know, to be honest with you. I wasn't because... Of, not because of um, the DJs or the quality or whatever, but uh, because simple because I came out a, I came from a band, and I used to hear myself properly. You know, I used to have monitors on stage. You know what I'm talking about? Right? Yeah, I do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You got some rough microphone and some rough preamp, and you know, sometimes it's not you know not easy to hear what's going on. Ah, yeah, terrible. I remember I used to squeeze myself in between high tops, mid space. You couldn't hear yourself, couldn't hear your voice, but the vibe was all right. So I kept going. And then Mikey brought me to the UK, you know. He brought me to my first university of dub. And do you remember who was playing at that dance? Um, I think um, Earthquake, Irish and Enchanty. Okay, yeah, well, that's a, that's a lineup, that is. That that was um that was unreal. That was unreal. Yeah, I mean those sessions were like, there's nothing like that going on now in the UK, on that sort of level, in the heart of Brixton, 
with a old crowd, new crowd, everyone, that kind of diversity. It was like, yeah, crazy stuff. It must have been amazing to come from Italy and, and see it. Virgin, that was something really and truly. That was the real deal, as he used to say. You know, that was the that was the boom for me. After after seeing that, I get more inspired. I said, oh oh, that's the way how it works. That's the way how it could reach on a real level, and you know something that yeah, we, which is underground still, but on a mainstream level. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Yeah, with a big a big crowd and kind of a big vibe. Oh man, come on, that was. As you said, probably there's no event like that in the world, I'd say. Mm-hmm. No, with a sound system, three sounds with 12 boxes playing so loud and so... Mm, that, that was so magical because it was, it was loud, but it, it was quality as well. And it's like there's so much in Italy now in terms of sound systems. I mean, so many. But back in those days, there were so few. It was really like... You know, it's it's been a big journey in Italy regarding sound system, but just sort of sticking around this kind of time is like you know this kind of time scale thing. I mean, you started to make music as well, I guess, and make like sound system music. Yeah, well, um, the first intention was to reproduce what I was playing with a band mainly, but then I suddenly realized that it was quite impossible. Well at least with the with the with the technology and the knowledge I had during that time which was on the zero and I couldn't I couldn't put down a decent drum pattern. Um and yeah, I said, Why let's let's try do some digital stuff, you know, which is more especially even when I when I when I, when I checked your music, you know, I said it's different and it could be done on a proper level without uh, recording live instruments. You know, mm-hmm. the whole drumming process is really hard. You gotta go studio really and... Uh... Yeah, the ability to make a finished production on your own or with maybe one or two people in a small studio rather than, like you say, organising a whole band in a proper studio with microphones and everything. It's like, it's quite powerful to be able to just actually make the finished thing yourself. Yeah, I think even the style of making music, when you try, when you record in... Um, um, analog sound, recording the bass and the guitar, and and then you know working on it is more difficult than building a digital rhythm. If you see what I'm saying, mm-hmm. or a stepper track, you know, it's to me to me that was way easier because I try to I try to record the guitar. I mean. Um, now I do it and I get a, I get a different feat. I mean, I learn a little process, so you know what I mean? It sounds kind of better, but when I try to do the all live organic stuff, man, that was a nightmare. So I said, let me try, let me try build these shaka rhythms and you know, these Irishian steppers, vibronics, alphanomia. Uh, oh yeah, that was crucial as well when I met um, Jonah. Yeah, because I, I, I remember you doing the stuff with Alpha and Amiga, and it's like that's on one of my list of questions here, is it's kind of, because Alpha and Amiga, are, you know, they're one of my sort of biggest influences in a lot of way, and they're like foundation of UK scene. Um, but they never had any kind of live presence. So, and then obviously something happened, you got involved, and then 
live stuff was happening. Yeah, I think that's basically. Um, well, I saw them. I was in Telfen Amiga crazy. Yeah, they were always big in Italy, weren't they? They always had a like a following in Italy. Oh yeah, for real, for real, for real. Yeah, 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 yeah. Definitely, they're big. They're big over here. Everybody knows Alpha and Amiga, up north, south. Yeah, what I wanted to say is I met Jonah and um, they were playing, yeah, they were playing in Italy and I couldn't wait to go see them. But the first time I see them live, I, I never get impressed, to be honest. I never get, um, I never get, I never get a feeling I had through the records. It's not easy, not easy to get that studio vibe and that atmosphere to take it out and do it live. It's like you, you got to try some different things to kind of get that working. Yeah, because as you know, you don't see, you don't get to see John, but everybody knows John is making the music. So mm. it's kind of the way of arranging an Elf and Omega live set ain't easy at all. Um, I mean, the thing is, they they were playing. And they were missing a lead singer. I knew Jonah since ages, and um, I went to check him at, at in Harrow at Christine's, and uh, I had a few tracks with me. And um, Christine checked them, and she kind of liked them. And she said, "Why well, you got you, you should try yourself on a on an Alpha and Omega rhythm." And I said, "Wow, that would be amazing." Well, that's quite an honour when, when when you're a big fan of an artist and they ask you to get involved as one of them. That's like that's that means you're in the gang. Oh yeah, man! It's like it, it looks yeah. It makes you feel good. Like um, this interview too. Can I remember? You used to be one of the first, well, probably the first UK producer to remix one of my stuff, and then um, and then um, which I could release. So it's the same feeling, you know. In reggae, I mean. It's so important to 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 practice what you preach. You know what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. there is a part of the show which is hype related, but there must be the other part which is roots related, article related. So you know what I'm saying. When you do what you what you you do what you um, what you've been preaching. You know. So yeah, yeah. There's a responsibility, I think, with like the music and kind of it has this message and it's kind of yeah we all like have a responsibility within that to at least try and do the right thing i think um, yeah but it's interesting we're talking about this as well because i don't know if you're interested in talking about your sort of relationship with, with rastafari because it's something that's comes across in your lyrics and like in the name of your sound system and um it's like i don't know if you want to Talk about how that came oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. part of your life. Yeah, yeah, for real, for real. That's the main. That's the main topic for me when it comes to reggae, because um, because of the influence I've got from reggae music. I mean, uh, as I said, when I first discovered Bob Marley and I wanted to get deeper into his lyrics, well, I immediately found that he was speaking about God, you know? And um, as I said, I was a rebel, so that kind of sounds strange to me, you know? I was like, what is he talking about? Jar, Rastafari, Africa, Ethiopia, and, um, you know, the Bible verses. And I went to recheck the stuff myself because I've been a Catholic. I mean, I born Catholic. 
mm-hmm. because of uh, my family tradition. Um, and when I was a youth, like eight years old or something like that, um, I used to go church service, right? And then um, I suddenly realized what the what the story was about, and I I, I got really deluded, like, and I was um, I was um, I rejected everything, you know, because of like, the Catholic Church and the kind of politics of it. Yeah, 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 and the pedophilia and a lot of stuff. <laughs> I never really, I mean, that was you know, unreal. So for years I've been kind of anti-religion. And uh, but then when I when I when I check the reinterpretation the African the African point of view, I got into a different perspective. And then when I went to Africa and I went to Ethiopia and I checked the thing myself, man, I said that's 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 another that's another story. That's the way they're Christian, right? But the way they live Christianity. Is the I'd say is the opposite of over here, of Europe and of um, Catholic, of the Catholic mentality and the the, the, the general way they live. Let's say. Mm-hmm. How how was it visiting Ethiopia? I've never been. I'd love to go. It was fantastic. I mean, I wanted to see. I wanted to see. I wanted to see the thing with my own eyes. You know, I went to. I went to Addis Ababa and I went to the places where His Majesty used to, um, used to walk, and he, you know, and um, I met people there. But most of all, I talked to I talked to the elders, not to the Rasta elders, but to the Ethiopians. And there, I, I mean, I got the flavor, and um, I, I heard, I, I was listening to the stories and to the to the. I mean, I felt the love they were feeling for His Majesty and and them times, you know, um, which really were glorious. And um, yeah, it must have been an amazing experience to go there and kind of, especially with an interest in trying to understand more about the sort of spiritual history of the place as well. Yeah, you feel the energy, which is something you can you can uh, you can have, you can pick from the books and discussions and. You know, reasonings with other people, other rasters, and um, spiritual people in general. But then, when you get to the, when you get, when you get yourself to the place, it's different. You know, mm-hmm. we, it's like you know. I mean, I know Mexicans, but when I went to Mexico and I and I smell the flavor, and I see the, I see how the, the way they live, and you know, you there. Yeah, well, the last time I saw you, we were there together in Mexico City, and like you know, it's a it's a, a wonderful place, definitely. But get, but just returning quickly to this Alpha and Omega thing. I mean, what did did you learn anything from working with them? Because you, you you you're really dealing with like great music when you're kind of being part of the Alpha and Omega crew. For real, I learned everything. I'd say. I mean, I um I made um I'm, I made myself better uh, under any point of view. Um, music music wise, they're genius to me. I mean. Their music is unique, and uh, the way Christine plays her bass to me, it's still inspiring me. Every time I play the bass pattern, it's like two, three notes max, and it kind of mantra which is repeating, you know. And I believe that comes from Alpha and Omega influence, big time, big time. 
Yeah, for, for for me for me too. It's that I've always loved music that's really simple and you know I'm not ne- not normally a fan of music that's got like loads of notes in it. I always like stuff that's quite sort of simple and the Alpha and Omega stuff is kind of very complicated with atmosphere and stuff, but with notes it's like just just a few. It's all you need. Yeah, that's what I like, which is simplicity and it works. It works perfectly when it, especially you know when he. Um, when it comes to sound and everything is sounding so big, you don't really need a lot of notes, do you? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, it's interesting you talk about sound because that's something you've been, you know, it's come up again and again so far. But that's what I guess, you know, probably most people probably know you as now is like Imperial Sound Army and, and your sound system. So, um, what, what made you build your sound system? Because obviously when you started, you were a singer and a performer and everything, but why, why do the sound system thing? Because it's not an easy thing to do. No, it's not at all. And, um, um, I think I, I, I wanted, I wanted to express ourselves with, um, with our sound because we are playing, uh, we are playing a lot of sound systems and the PAs and um, whatever. And at some point, I was like um, testing my production, and you know, somehow they were sounding nice, but so- somewhere um, in um, not not in all not in all the systems. Okay, so mm-hmm. I said, what, 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 what's wrong with it? Is it my music or is it the sound system? Uh, is it the PA sounding rubbish? And uh, I realized, well, you know, with with time playing and playing, I realized they were both. They were my production sounding horrible, but sometimes the sound was horrible. So I said, um, I wanna, I wanna, I wanna, I wanna build the sound which plays the the, the 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 sound I like to play you know mm-hmm. with um good bass and um good eye meat and toughs where when you sing you can hear your voice so I mean eventually I'll be working a lot of my midsection and uh yeah because it's very distinctive looking that's one of the things I, I like about it is is that like you can tell it's the Imperial Sound Army sound system. It's like it looks unique as well, and I guess the design is like part of it. When we when we started to when we decided to build the sound system, we took it originally from Warrior Charge. I gotta say that because um, um, we we use Warrior. David. Yeah, yeah, David. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Up north, Warrior Charge to me was one of the best Italian sounds when it comes to quality and uh, and, um, and and precision, really. Mm-hmm, for sure. We were playing with David. We were putting on events, Dubgate, the first Dubgate event we used to run in in town, and David came with his sound system. So you know, playing on his sound was um was kind of fantastic really because um because yeah it was proper yeah me too i've played on it so many times and like it's it's never let me down it sounds awesome exactly you know what i'm talking about and yeah so so you know we decided we said we said let's 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 build our own sound and you know so we we would invest money but we wouldn't kind of you know because every time you get a higher sound or it's money so Let's build it so you can even, 
you can play with your own and you can even um because you went in big as well you, you didn't just build some little sound to play in the bar around the corner you went in with like a you know a big sound to to be alongside the other big sounds yes definitely i wanted to i wanted to i wanted to replicate a quality yet in the uk here in italy and um because see the thing is sound system here they're being better and better definitely but the early the early sound movement is um related to 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 the squats yeah it's like a kind of punk sort of movement isn't it i remember the days of like just good vibes but very very like homemade sound system and everything which is you know definitely part of the vibe but but like sound wise you know improvements needed to be made and they they really have now yeah yeah for real up to these days yeah yeah because uh what basically what you need to do is to spend money into technology there's no escape you know what i'm saying if you want a quality sound you gotta even if even if you're too big you know you gotta spend money so that's the thing you need to you need to you need to be professional which is the which is the step really to do and uh, because of the band and so much work I had I mean I tried to do um, I wanted to come out with something proper you know something um, which could uh, make a difference as well and uh, naturally naturally I think in five seven years we we play in our sound and uh, naturally we've been playing i think anywhere in europe we brought it all over europe and well it's funny you, you talk about um university of dub like being one of, you know that's a being a, a real moment for you to hear sounds playing properly and then fa- fast forward a few years and you're playing there yourself with your own sound system. I mean, that must have been like quite a crazy experience. Crazy, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Exactly. That was big. Well, that was huge. I mean, when we got called for the University of Dub, that was a dream getting into reality. You know, it's a very long way to take the sound as well. It's crazy experience. Yeah, driving the sound over there, you gotta have a solid crew, which. By the grace of God, I had I had a lot of good people beside me, you know. Otherwise, we couldn't make it at all. Mm-hmm. Makida, yeah, man. I gotta say, big up to the crew every time, you know. Yeah, man. The whole crew been amazing. Yeah, I saw Makida dri- driving the truck all the way from uh, from Italy to London. I mean, that's a that's a mission. That is. Yeah, man. Yeah, man. Back and forward. Yeah, for real. And what what was it like playing there? What was it like? taking your sound to London and playing alongside ABBA and whoever else? It was, as I said, a dream coming true. Something like I would never expect, never ever expect back in the days. But then, um, then yeah, I think um, I give thanks. I see it natural. I've been, I mean, I dedicate myself to music. So, I mean, I, I can see, I can see both the grace of God and I can see that when you believe in yourself as well and you know and you stick to something and you do it with all of your energy and you know something comes right in the end in the end something comes and uh yeah it was a fulfillment 
And when you stood up there playing with the other sounds, with the big sounds, then you, you've got to play properly yourself. You can't, you know, it's not a joke, is it? No, for real. No, for real. They took me on a, they took me on the next level, I think, um, professional-wise. They took me on the next level and uh, I learned so much. I learned how to play, well, let's say I'm learning how to play sounds still. Um... But to me, to me, the, the whole magic about reggae is the is the process and the industry from from the production to the sound system to the radio to the shops. I like that kind of um, um, I like that way of producing music. You know what I'm saying? From a creating it to yes, yeah, like a kind of grassroots kind of thing, isn't it? It's like because because one thing that you know. I'd like to mention is 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 Manuel Dub Festival because I think that's the last time I played on your sound and it's in a small festival in in Sicily which is a long way from both of us but like for me it's a sign of what what a magical place like Italy is in the summer and what a perfect place it is for playing sound outside in the summer it's kind of you know and again like a, a long way as well from you know it's another long journey for you guys yeah, definitely. We've been, as I said, we've been, we've been, we've been far. We we carry, we carry the sound far up to Poland and almost Russia. We carrying it down south to Sicily and a uh, um, few other spots, Holland and France and Spain, and that's that's the. That's the joyful part of traveling, which I really enjoy myself. I like traveling with a sound system more than by plane, to be honest. Because at least you get to see something, you know what I'm saying? You say, when you say, yeah man, I went to play um, Ukraine, or I went to play Moscow, right? But then it might be for, what, a couple of hours, and then you're back home, innit? So right at the end, you don't get to see much, but if you travel, I mean, if you drive the sound yourself, that's about 3,000 miles or something. So you definitely get to see something. <laughs> no, it's a, it's a proper adventure. Definitely, definitely. And then obviously, you know, now in, you know, everyone's had like a, at least a year off playing, then uh, what, what, what's the plans for when, when you can come back with the sound? Oh man. I I can't wait for it, really. I'm so frustrated. Uh, I had to, and then I, I was into music completely, right? So when um, when this COVID business took over, but as many of us, I was like, wow. Um, let's see how long it takes, you know. Let's be ready, okay? Let's sit down and studio because I was playing a lot, really. At some point, I said um, I might take a break. Because I was a bit stressed. Yeah, it's hard work, especially with a sound system. It's physical hard work as well. Yeah, I said to myself, eventually I'm going to take like six months break or something. I'll go Jamaica and um, I wanted to go recording some stuff and, you know. And then, bam, COVID came in and, uh, and, um, and I was terrible, terrible because um, I had a big plan and uh, I was investing money as well into the sound system, you know, you never really stop spending money. 
not yet. I mean, at least me, not yet. So um, I was investing a lot of money into the sound. And I had a specific full seasonal plan and I was ready to play. And then when it get like, um, when, 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 when it fell off and I was desperate, um, I tried to, I said, yeah, okay, let's build up. Let's sit down in the studio and build rhythms and get ready, build a lot of new stuff. And then six months, after six months, we were still there, nothing move. After a year, nothing move. Finally, I had to find a job, you know. I had to go to, I had to go, I mean, I had to rearrange my lifestyle completely. You can release music, still you can sell music, but um, it doesn't help you as um, as much as when you go play live. No, exactly, exactly. It makes it, yeah, it's been a very difficult year for everyone in music and every promoter and every bar and venue and festival and sound system and it's kind of, yeah, yeah, it's, 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 a, it's a crazy thing. I just hope that when it is over that, um, you know, this kind of new energy that people will have for it will be like you know should bring about like some pretty amazing sessions and kind of some quite intense stuff i think oh yeah yeah for real i mean at least i mean people 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 is um is balling for it <laughs> everyone is balling for it like you know yeah yeah let's see what it, let's see what left yeah exactly exactly well well listen you know, we've been talking for a while now, so what I'll do is I'll sort of bring the interview to a close. And what, what I do at the end of the interview is I ask everyone the same question, um, and it's my book of dub question where I've got this book and I've written everyone's name in it, and I just ask everyone what they want associated with their name. So if I write Danai in my book of dub, then what, what would you want associated with your name? Um... I think with the concept of bringing um, the classic roots into an original formula which still preserve the flavor of um, what we've been growing with uh, in terms of roots and culture. And um, we want to... Um, we want to speak with the new generation with the, with with the let's say not new but different language because the youths need the modern style of communication they're all into socials they're into something which is new so you need to rearrange yourself to be to 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 um, to let other people understand the same message that the elders brought us. I don't know if... Um... Yeah, yeah, no, it makes, it makes sense. It makes sense. Because it's like, cause it's, it's going to be interesting when, when we can all come back and play again because there's like a whole... Because every year, new people come into the scene, people discover it, you know, especially younger people, but even older people that didn't, that hadn't encountered kind of the root sound system scene before. Um, but for a whole year, it hasn't existed. So there's a whole load of people who, who would be brought into it who haven't been able to because it doesn't exist. So it's going to be interesting to see kind of, 
you know, what, what, what happens with the next generation having had a year or maybe even two with no live music and dances and stuff. So we'll, we'll just have to see. I mean, I mean, for me, the important is, um, the, the, the important thing into my music is, uh, finding the same energy I got from, um, culture, Bob Marley, Bonnie Whaler, these people, you know, but, um, we ain't playing the same music. We play in new, modern, digital, whatever. I, I want to preserve the same energy mm -hmm. in a different style. No, oh, nice. Yeah, me too. That's definitely what I'm trying to do. Make modern music, but with the inspiration of the, of the old stuff, for sure. Well, Dan, I thank you very much for joining me on the podcast. So it's great, great to hear your story. Thank you very much. It's been a blessing and a, a true honour. Thanks for joining me and Dan I for this 30-second episode of the Life in Dub podcast. Don't forget to share the podcast and help get all these stories out to more and more people. Remember, if you want to get in touch, just email me, vibronics at gmail.com. Thanks again for listening, and I'll see you all again in two weeks for the next Life in Dub podcast. <laughs>